Netflix presents Inside Jokes Space Force. I'm your host, Jimmy O. Yang. Grab a $10,000 orange and don't forget the Earth may be flat to some people. Now let's go inside of Space Force. Welcome to the podcast. Today we're talking about season one, episode 103. Mark and Mallory go to Washington of Netflix's Space Force, written by Shepard Boucher and directed by Tom Marshall. While Aaron gets to know Captain Ali, General Naird and Dr. Mallory brace themselves for a contentious hearing on Capitol Hill. Look, space is hard. Space is hard. If you haven't settled on a motto yet, may I suggest that that become the new Space Force motto. Our guests today include a wonderful Ginger Gonzaga who plays guest cast member AYC and casting director, the legend herself, Allison Jones, and her partner in crime, Ben Harris. And later joining us on the show will be another legend, Carter Burwell, a wonderful composer. How are you guys doing? How's everybody doing? Hey, we're good. We're hanging in there. Is, is there still casting going on during this whole pandemic? We're casting for an animated show for Netflix called Q-Force because you don't have to quarantine the animation. But um, right. other than that, nothing. <laughs> Everything shut down. Yeah, I, yeah. I know in the Jimmy, beginning. Why are you pulling for jobs when we're trying to do a podcast? Hey, let me just know if there's <laughs> anything else going on right now. I, I set up a home recording studio. I can self-tape. <laughs> <laughs> Allison, I, I feel like even my friends that are not in the industry know exactly who you are. You know, you well, course that's hilarious. It. I can't compute that. Okay. Oh, no, no, no. You, you famous, famous. And I've known all, like all three of you guys for years. And and for the audience uh, that are, you know may not know, Allison has casted uh, the most incredible comedy and drama, right? Freaks and geeks. I mean, look at that cast. Uh, where have all those guys gone now? You know. <laughs> You know, uh, including course, Judd and Paul. Yeah. Yeah. Bridesmaid and 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 till now, you know, uh, uh, Space Force and and Ginger, I've known for years. We actually started the CBS Diversity Showcase together. Right. We that together. What? You, we, you did that, right? I have history with. Yes, 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 yes. And then I was there for two days and then I had to leave to do Silicon Valley. Are you serious? Wait, then you left for what? I do Silicon Valley, this stupid show, you know, who oh cares? Oh my gosh, oh, that. <laughs> well, it, and skyrocketed into the- No, but, you know, so I, we haven't kept in touch in a long time. And then you came up to me at a Golden Globes party and was like, Jimmy, remember? Ginger, CBS Diversity Showcase. This is exactly what you said to me. <laughs> I love that I'm now blanking. Are you serious? That's what I said when I saw you at the Golden Globe? You you said that at the Golden Globes, and then <laughs> you're like, and then I was like, oh, Ginger, yeah, 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 no, I remember. And then you're like, hey, meet my boyfriend. And then I turned a corner, and it was I, we don't have to mention the name, but it was a very famous man, you know, that I was just my jaw just dropped. It was insane. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, funny, yeah, because I remember seeing you at the Golden Globes and being like, I know Jimmy, but I forgot. I love that I've in in what a year I've I've uh, forgotten. That that's that I knew at the time what I knew you from. It's it's okay. It's okay. I will always remember you, Ginger. The point is, we've been we've been friends for twelve years. <laughs> yeah, and, and I mean, you you play this AYC character, which is based on AOC, and uh, to your credit, and of course to Allison's casting, you know, it, it's it's one of the already. I gotta say, I was reading YouTube comments about trailer. There's been a few comments and be like, oh my god, that girl nailed it as AOC. So, so did you model like uh, any speech pattern or like was it a bit of an imitation? Did you did you did you do your own thing? Yeah, no, I I knew who she was supposed to be from the sides, and I um I I've seen her her you know that she's really good at knowing when she's on camera and making sure that her um any speeches that she gives are recorded and she's really good at being like kind of like didactic and stuff. And mm -hmm. so I've seen a lot of those tapes. So I watched a lot of that and I, I, I can have a similar uh, timbre, I think of my voice and mm. she has just a, yeah, I, I, I tried to mimic her vocal patterns without being like a, 
carbon copy. It's the demeanor and the attitude too. I think you really nail that confidence and like kind of positivity, yet like kind of like a jam my finger in your in you know in your ear type of vibe. Uh, I don't even know if that was a saying. She's always prepared. That's what's so fun about her being young is like she wants to be there, and she's like way more prepared than anyone else. So she's just kind of listening to people's bullshit. And then she's sitting there nodding, like being respectful, knowing. Yes, that nod was perfect. (laughs) Just waiting. (laughs) "Uh Uh-huh, you're saying things that I knew you would say. And actually, here's this truth bomb that I'm going to give you. Yeah. I I think you're really going to be a fan favorite of this. (laughs) And hopefully we'll get to see more of you. How how was the auditioning process for that? Did Did you go in and Allison with Allison and Ben? I was with Ben, yes. It was fun. I mean, I love going in for you guys. I mean, we just kind of ran it and then Ben gave me a good note. I don't know. You tell me that. I barely remember. I think the advantage of coming in in person is that we hopefully have a little bit of a better idea or or something specific that the director or producers are looking for. Mm-hmm. And, and we can hopefully uh, dial in the actor's performance a little bit and give some adjustments that if you're doing a self-tape at home, you don't you might not know that or or be able to tell that you are or are not doing that. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think we just, it just took a, a couple, right. Of just adjusting and sort of just finding that. Yeah. I'm also glad that I was with you because I was just assuming that this was an AOC and just chose to be an AOC, which you kind of allowed. And so I knew that it was correct, mm-hmm. you know, but I didn't, it's not like I had uh, uh, much of a conversation other than the side. So if I right. had just been on my own, I could have been wrong. <laughs> you know? yeah. Sure. And, right. and, 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 and I mean, throughout the years, I, I've read for you guys many times, uh, Allison and Ben. Yeah. And there is just something. There, there's two things I, I always think. First of all, when I go in, I don't feel nervous. Uh, I always feel like you guys are on my side. Like what Ben was just saying, that you guys are on my side trying to get me a job with the producers. Uh, and, and you just make, make the actors feel so welcome because I can only imagine, especially when I was younger, how nervous, you know, young actors were, uh, say, say, coming to, you know, with a potential of getting a big job, especially, or even a smaller role. And then another thing, I think, Allison, one time, I remember this particular story. I came in to read, uh, I, I honestly forgot what the project was, but it was like a very um, sciencey character, like a nerdy-ish character that... I obviously looked apart to play those guys, but I think I remember after I read that part, Allison had a thought and she's like, read this other part. Deep down, that, that part was more right for me, whereas on the surface, people see one thing. Um, uh, so I yeah. think that that is, is that the magic sauce, the, the, the skill here? Well, I'd say that's what Allison's known for, right? Is being able to see, you know, we bring you in for one thing and you might not be perfect for it or, you know, and, and I think Allison, but that's why she is Allison Jones, right? She oh, Christ! She sees, <laughs> but it's true. I mean, you do that all the time. It's, well, thank you. We do do it all the time. Um, and Ginger's read for many varied situations. I apologize for any of them that were profane or anything, but we seem to get a lot of that too. Oh, I love it! No, in the comedies, yeah, but um, and also where they let you improv because you guys are both absolute champion improvisers. But you don't do right. that much on Space Force. You must. Uh, we do, but you know what? The first year, I think we had so much coverage and the shots were so beautiful. Uh, we weren't as loose as, say, some other shows. But I'm sure as season two, season three goes on, we get to play a little yeah. more, you know? Two words, Fred Willard. That's all I'm saying. Oh, my God. What a legend. Well, speaking of Fred Willard, I mean, uh, did, did you guys have to read him for that? Or was that that no, was his no. job? <laughs> yeah. You don't read Fred Willard. No, no, no. <laughs> no. Shockingly, because sometimes they would expect us to, but no, not Fred Willard. Yeah. yeah. The man's a legend. Howard Klein and Greg Daniels, they're all comedy, uh, uh, legendary comedy taste. So mm-hmm. Don Lake and Fred Willard, you know, that we did not have to. I think we read Don Lake, come to think of it. I just lied. No, yeah, he, he not Fred Willard, no. Yeah, Don Lake is my favorite, I think. Uh, he makes yeah. me laugh so much. Like every little thing he says, I just die laughing. How was his audition like for Brad? Hilarious. Nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. Did he and audition? We had good people auditioning. Yeah. Like, like, was it even close to the other guy that, that he, like, or was it, okay, that's the guy? We didn't say that's the guy. I don't, I don't. That I've never been in a room where someone actually says that's the guy, except once for Curb Your Enthusiasm when Bobby Lee came in. 
No way. <laughs> but anyway, I don't hear that very often. Um, it was between, it really was between Don Lake and one of the gentlemen who we cast in another part. So okay. the people are so good. I remember Greg saying these guys could all be the chiefs of staff kind of things. Mm. But Don Lake was, yeah, unbelievably good, especially opposite Steve Carell. Yeah, I, I mean, this show, honestly, I think it's the best cast of all shows. You two nailed it, though, <laughs> frankly. You That's two true. guys nailed it. Oh, wow. <laughs> I feel so lucky. You did. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> thanks. Uh, but you guys always nail it. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Well, you know, when I first read, I never read for Dr. Chan. I read for Fuck Tony. Right. Uh, right. See, I can see you as that. And that was such a fun part. So fun. Uh, w- was there other people that read for Fuck Tony that end up getting other roles? Uh, or they will. Like Paul Downs was freaking hilarious, and Nelson Franklin was freaking hilarious. And there might have been Ben. I don't remember. Did Paul? Jurowitz yeah, I was trying to remember. I think. Yeah. Um, Paul Jurowitz not... who played the monkey trainer. Yeah. Oh, he is so funny. <laughs> oh God. Hey, is that sign language accurate? Yeah, I think he said he learned it. Yeah, right? I, I think was it's like, accurate. Um, I, they had a um, yeah, they had a consultant or somebody that taught him that. I think. Right? Yeah, yeah. They he even was made, didn't incredible. they make us cast an actor who would who would mimic the monkeys' faces? <laughs> they they wanted to. I think we finally convinced them. Maybe did I finally that. say I'm not doing <laughs> that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so many stuff to talk about before I get into the episode, uh, or to get into the episode. One of the great dynamics. Um, I just love when we get to find different dynamics of the characters. Like in this episode, we see Diana Silvers, who plays Aaron, uh, have a great kind of buddy relationship uh, with Angela Ali, played by the amazing Tawny Newsom. They're both uh, yeah. amazing. Um, so, Allison, Ben, tell us a little bit about how, how the casting process were for those two, because I think these were this was their first, both of their first series, right? Yeah, you can start yeah. with... Um uh, the women we brought in who we had just previously seen in Booksmart who were so good. Ben, Ben can talk about that. Mm. No, I just, um, yeah, we had not always, but in the last year, year and a half, we had had a few roles that were not Aaron Naird, but adjacent. And mm-hmm. we brought in, we had a lot of uh, young women that were, you know, very strong. And that was, that was, I was, I would say Diana had some very stiff competition for that. Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah, there was a, a lot of good contenders there. And I mean, she, uh, that speaks to her, that speaks volume to her it does. ability. It does she's indeed, so yeah. amazing. And she's uh, I mean, we'll interview her in another episode, Beautiful. <laughs> but she, she's like a supermodel, right? But she is yeah. incredibly talented as an actor. Um, and so good and so dressed down in the show that, you know, she didn't need that <laughs> yeah. part of that, right? Uh, what about Tawny? I actually have known Tawny for a while. And this was, I, I, this is going to be her big break, I think. And she is incredible. I have to confess, I did not know Tawny until I went to a UCB show um, on, it was the Franklin UCB. And I had bumped into um, Mary Sohn, who's a big Second City uh, mm-hmm. comedian who introduced me to, we were both watching the same show. It was um, Carl Tart's group. Um, and I didn't know Tana and I met her there. And then I, I Googled her um, as we always do in casting. I didn't know I wanted to see her stuff. So I didn't know her. I had only met her like a year previous, thanks to Mary Song. So then we brought in Tawny and she also had stiff competition. Mm-hmm. And a lot yeah. of those women will end up in the show too. Uh, one of them already has, um, oh, wow. but in a future episode. So I won't spoil it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, that, that's really interesting that you say you 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 saw her in a UCB show. Uh, is that something that you do often? That's one hundred percent of how I meet these people. Yeah, pretty much. Right. Yeah, yeah. Because and then go home and do a deep dive. <laughs> that's awesome. So, w- what about uh, UCB? Is it, do you go to stand up comedy clubs? Uh, is there any other place? I used to go to stand up comedy a lot more. I went since my first minute in casting going to comedy clubs um uh the improv but mostly the comedy store i just sat there in that back room until from like 8 30 to 2 2 a.m wow. when sam kinnison was screaming his lungs out at the end of every show <laughs> wow. um and i just thought at the time that's how i had to learn comedy people because my first boss was working on comedies and i sure did and i 
so many of those people now are so famous and I'm so thrilled I got to see them um, when they were 19 and 20 prior to any internet, anything. But I used to, if you look at old Golden Girls, you'll see like Dom Irera playing a waiter and stuff. No way. Oh yeah. When my, my, one of my first jobs with my first boss was Golden Girls because oh. I'm as old as Betty White. And, um, <laughs> and so you'll see a lot of stand-ups, Polly Shore, all that kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And I, and I think there's a genuineness, uh, uh, to, to, of course, every time I step up to the office that you guys are truly fans of comedy. Oh, um, huge. Second city too. Yeah. Huge. Something very sweet. And, and there's also something, you know, uh, for the young actors out there, it's pretty cool to know that opportunities are everywhere, you know, just even a show on a Tuesday in UCB or a show on a Wednesday at Laugh Factory, you could be seen by someone like you or someone like Greg or something that could really make a difference. Uh, um, you know, so I guess, I don't know. I don't know yeah, what the advice is. I met yeah. Tawny and she was an audience member sitting with a friend and that's how I met her. So oh. it's really true. Oh, she wasn't even performing. No, she wasn't performing. She was in the audience with a woman named Mary Sohn from Second City because oh. we always go to Chicago once a year because if we don't know who's from Second City, I, I like you, Jimmy, I get obsessed that I don't know somebody. <laughs> so, um, you know, we have mined so many good Second City people from going to Second City, Sam Richardson, Chris Botoski, so many people by seeing them there first. But wow. um, Ginger, when you first came in, I had met you when you were a writer. And I was like, you're kidding me. She's a writer and she's this good at the same time. Well, first of all, I remember you had a really cool black leather jacket on. Yeah. Oh, good yeah. job <laughs> in the past. Um, she's yeah, I remember funny. Just, she's pretty. Yeah. Oh, thanks. I remember just being like, oh God, when do I ever get to read for Allison Jones? But uh, something I was going to say that Jimmy said that you guys love comedy, which is so great, but it's also that you guys get comedy. So that's why I think that everyone feels so safe because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, there's nothing worse than like, you know, there's, you can be a fan of comedy, but like getting comedy is a totally different thing. And you guys have the same comedian brain, I think, as the people that you're casting. And so you're, when we're auditioning you. for you guys, <laughs> we're, we're protected. I've been on, in auditions where I'm, I'm holding for a really long time intentionally and someone will think it's that I forgot my line. And I'm like, oh, I oh blew my it. God. You know? So, and, and then they cut me off like I didn't know my line. And I'm like, oh, no. you guys <laughs> never do that. You would just know. You'd be like, ooh, something weird's coming. Thank and you. And then, you know, the joke would, would land. So it's just and like. And Ben Harris is a good reader, too. Yes, that's true. That's also rare. Well, that's very sweet. <laughs> that's also rare. Uh, and, and, and did I see you guys, Ben, did I see you in like, like a show or something as an actor or, or no? It's it's possible you've seen. Yeah. No, you and Allison both won Barry. That's true. Yes, playing yeah. ourselves. That was a gas. That was the high point of everything. That was so fun. Did you enjoy right? that? Oh yes. Oh my god. I and Jay Roach. We were all oh, yeah, so with nervous. Roach. That was, that that can't be your first acting debut, right? Or was it? Well, I had on the Office. They had um, everybody appeared in like the last two episodes of the mm. Office. Because I think Greg wanted everybody who worked on the show mm. to be in the office. And I said, okay, but I have to be with Phyllis because Phyllis, who used to work for me. So, you know, That's I have to do thing. that. So I've I heard about that story. With Phyllis. Ben is good. So Ben does little things because the directors right. always know how good of a reader he is. And then <laughs> he'll get in the show. But the Barry thing is the most amazing thing ever. That was fun. Ben cracked up. Uh, Bill Hader, which is not easy to do. Really? Oh, that that was really, really cool. It was like an inside of an inside joke because they yes, do have the yeah. Gersh agency. And then I see, oh, whoa, 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 what's going on here? <laughs> These are casting directors and they're great. Yeah, totally that's, fun. That's awesome, guys. And I think, you know, what made you guys so special, the, the office is, is, is like Ginger was saying, that you guys really, truly care and, and understand comedy. And it's so nurturing at the same time, because coming from like the improv world or like the stand up world, uh, people that get comedy are usually pretty dark and kind of like fucked up people, you know, so it's hard <laughs> to find like people that get comedy and are extremely nurturing, make you feel good. So yeah. You guys are yeah, they're like truly, truly champions. What you say is true, though. I think it's why I love comics, because they're all fucked up and dark. Yeah, That's absolutely. Right. And it's why they're also uh, good dramatic actors, too. The reverse is not mm. necessarily remotely true. The they're yeah. good dramatic actors. Yeah. 
That is so true. Every like even if you watch Andrew Dice Clay now, he's been he's been yeah. killing it in dramatic acting. But speaking of, you know, Bill Hader. Jesus. Mm, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. What a guy. Um, and, and on this show, there's a lot of, aside just from the main cast, right, that we talked about, uh, the Joint Chiefs room. That is an no! all-star <laughs> comedy room. How, how was the casting process for those guys? P- please do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just mean, throwing out names. And, and it wasn't hard to get people who wanted to do this show. And plus, they shot it in a half a day. So it was easy. You know, Diedrich was really busy, but he said, yes, I want to do this right away. He's army, right? Yes, he's army. No, uh, what's Patrick Warburton? He's He's Marine. He is hilarious. Yeah, he's good. That was throwing out names and, uh, you know, Jane Lynch. Come on. They cut to her face and she's hilarious. I know. She doesn't have to open her mouth. So funny. Yeah. And Larry Joe Campbell was was, uh, a close second to, um, if I can say this, a close second to um, Don Lake's role. So we always wanted him on the show. Oh, cool. That's so he awesome. was in there as Coast Guard. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's and yeah. Noah Emmerich, we got lucky. He he was interested in the show to begin with, and we were able to get Noah Emmerich um, for that role because uh, he was very anxious to do the show, hearing what, about what the premise was. Oh, that's great. That room, I hope we see more of that room because yeah, that's a that pretty room. great one. That room when Jane incredible. Lynch, well, I can't. Can I say it? What she says about absolutely you bring can up say my it. gender anymore? Yes. I'm gonna fuck your ass. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I died laughing. Yeah. I and died I wonder laughing. If that was improvised because she, yeah. the way she said it was like primo Jane Lynch. Mm-hmm. Oh, and that that wink she always gives, it's perfect. God, her yeah. grin. Yeah, yeah, she she's brilliant. Uh, what about John Malkovich? Uh, I was talking to him. I, I know, you know, he's probably, maybe he approached us or uh, Greg approached them, but was there, were you involved in that process? I think Malkovich was an early idea that Greg had. Mm-hmm. And we were like, ah, we'll never get John Malkovich, blah, 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 blah. So that was a list making process with a lot of big names. And so many actors are not available, including John Malkovich was going on to do the Pope. The Pope. Yeah, the new Pope. Yeah, it was a great show. The new Pope, in which he's great. Um, But another problem you guys run into, too, there's so much out there for actors that a show, to produce a show, just becomes an entire uh, actor scheduling situation. Right. um, It's like a maze of when to put one actor who's not doing nine other things at the same time. But I think a lot of the, the stature of actor that Netflix and Greg and Howard wanted on the show and Steve, many were not available for the time that we needed because of all the cross-boarding and everything. Mm-hmm. And I think we thought we wouldn't get someone like John Malkovich and mm-hmm. we took a shot and, and he was interested. So it was great. I think he, I don't know if he had a Skype with Greg or not, but, um, you know, they wanted a serious heavy duty guy who you would believe was an actual scientist opposite Steve Carell's character. And so I would say we got lucky on that one. It's a balancing act on who you can, it's a part of who you can get because who's available and then who you can get budget-wise and blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. So, um, and then who, who Netflix has to approve all these things, so who they'll approve. And uh, Steve Carell, I know, was thrilled to possibly get John Malkovich. So we got lucky. I, yeah. It was a I little th- bit of luck. I think we all got lucky with Malkovich. I mean, that, that, I think so that. too. Well, you especially, Jimmy. I get yeah. to hang out with him so much <laughs> on set, and he's so cool and nice. Um, uh, I we we actually went to like a flea market together and stuff outside of work. Like he, he he's my John Malkovich is my best friend. Yes, I said it here. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and 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 Ginger, I think uh, we were doing like a Zoom happy hour, and he showed us something like you got for him. Uh, he, you know, everyone speaks very highly of you. Everyone loves you. And he's just such a great friend and leader also. You know, he's so cool. You don't know what you expect from John Malkovich, but he's so cool. He's so awesome. I remember yeah. I've never met John Malkovich. I never meet the big people on the list. Um, the only time I ever encountered him was when they first invented ATMs and I was in Larchmont. And I remember I was standing next to him getting cash out of the side of a building and thinking, holy shit i'm here and there's john malkovich we're both waiting for <laughs> bills to be spit out the side of a building <laughs> other than that i've never had the pleasure of meeting john malkovich what what year was atms invented i i didn't know that was like a long probably as long when he lived in larchmont <laughs> 25 years ago oh, but i just remember literally thinking yeah. of the absurdity of it yeah 
I never thought about that. Like there were days without ATMs. Oh, it was a big deal. Let me tell you. Oh my God. That's awesome. Pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs) You know, in this episode, uh, another actor that I really loved that that the scenes were so funny uh, is the Congress scene uh, sitting next to Ginger is the old man that the flat earther. Tommy Cook. Yes. Yeah. What's his name? Tommy Cook. So good. I just emailed his agents today out of the blue. I was just like, hey, he's great. And I really liked working with him. And he's so sharp. And I looked up his age. I went to did a whole deep dive. He was a child actor in like the 30s. What? Yeah. On his IMDb, you can see him like little Indians and all these things. It's wild. (laughs) And he's 90. I know. And he's as sharp as anybody. Yeah. We did a breakdown for that, which is what you you release to agents a description of the character and agents will submit headshots and then we pre-read or pre-tape a bunch of people and he came in and we were pretty blown away especially by that resume ginger because he had done really yeah. huge movies as a kid it's we, like when you look so, at the pictures, you're like man this man, man has lived such an interesting life that's yes. amazing and oh he is God. completely with it yeah. Yes, he yeah. was. He would joke around yeah. to me in Conchetta, and I, and he was. He has such a soft voice. I'd be like, "Hold on, did you just say something super <laughs> hilarious?" And I would lean over to yeah. Conchetta, and be like, "I want to get in with this guy. Yeah. He's saying some funny shit." That man is Hollywood. It's probably the rise and now, uh, you know, the digital age of Hollywood, and he's still working. He's amazing. Wow. Yeah, we love meeting these people because they'll they have great stories about um, when we used to be at Sunset Gower. I think William Shallard came in, who I believe played the father on the Patty Duke show. So huh. all I wanted to ask him was and, uh, what it was like back then. And he said, well, we'd come, we'd come here and I'd go pick up my paycheck at that paycheck window on the corner of Gower and, and Fountain. And I love that stuff. The late William Paycheck Shallard. window. We got money. I know. Now. We got ATM, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Things have changed. Those old Hollywood production stories are amazing. And those people are going and it's, I'm sure he has a bunch of them, and I love bringing in those old old folks and the older uh, ladies. It's uh, just great. Weird, and they so still come into audition. It's amazing. Yeah. I was on the phone, I know for like two hours, weirdly with Conchetta today, who I also love. That woman looks as she's good the as Nancy Pelosi does. Oh, the Potosi woman. Yeah. Oh, she's great. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, just talking with her, I mean, she's she's in a she's amazing. This wonderful light, and she's also she also is so bright. And and she was telling me about things. She's like, oh yeah, that's when I did that play with David Bowie and blah blah blah. And I'm like, can you just <laughs> yeah. show me your photo album one day? So I'm gonna yeah. go there oh. after COVID just to see all this. Yeah. Like what? Yeah. That, oh my that's god, that's amazing. That is amazing. Some of the uh, the stories are absolutely great, and hopefully won't be lost to the universe of Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just watched Hollywood, the Ryan Murphy thing, and I was so glad they captured so many good details in that show. Um, oh, I gotta get on and that. of old Hollywood. And um, have you guys seen that yet, Ginger? I, I have. Old Hollywood? I, I should see it. I haven't watched it. Pretty interesting because it, it, it captured old Hollywood, even though the story of Hollywood, they changed. But um, it, just some of the details of what it must like must have been like to fight for a role and, and, and audition. And mm. I... I absolutely worship actors for the, what they have to go through and how you have to put yourself online and how you all the time and how you've done 50 things and they still make you audition for a part. Mm. <laughs> so that's annoying when they say things like that. You are the conduit of, of, uh, of someone that, uh, you know, are coming up or someone's next big break. Uh, and you are so respected and understand. I must ask you and Ben, what are some, I guess, advice for young actors coming in town or coming up in this world? Tenacity is everything and less is more. That's what I'll say. Less is more. Except for in the theater. But tenacity is everything. I know you're going to go home and beat yourself up after, after every audition, but I say do it for 24 hours and then stop. Um, <laughs> Really, uh, because I, we have so many stories of people who didn't think they got the role and they got the role and then people who thought they got the role and then didn't get the role. Mm-hmm. So you can beat yourself up, but don't don't let it continue. But tenacity is everything for everybody in this business, I think. And but also she means- in terms of acting, less is more. <laughs> less Stay outside is more. her window. 
Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, and also I think we it's... even read those little cards that come in the office. So those kind of things we're good with. So, <laughs> and don't be shy about sending self tapes, really. Oh, well, I used to send thank you cards and I didn't think anybody would ever read them. Oh, we read them. Thank yeah. you cards are great. I saved oh, them. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, but still, you got you got to be able to act and then say say it's true. That's right. If you can't act, it doesn't matter. Uh, This is true. Yeah. If you're in doubt, less is more. Mm -hmm. I think there's um, so much training, or you know, certain teachers, and just in general, you're coming out of drama school and you're trying to make it as in TV or film, and I think there's an instinct, or you've been taught this, that you need to stand out in some way and make. You know, make yourself mm-hmm. memorable, right? Mm-hmm. And and for us, at least, you know, the best thing is almost to blend in and be as forgettable as possible. And that's usually how you get the role, at least starting out in these smaller, you know, co-star roles. And, um, yeah, don't, about, don't make a meal out of two lines when you're coming in because right. that yeah. is not it, – it's very, very hard to audition for a, a part that says, uh, can I take your order, sir? Really, mm-hmm. really you know – don't don't do it in a French accent or something unless it's a French restaurant. But um, you know, the advice all I can give is mostly don't beat yourself up for very long and then just move on. to. But that that has to do with tenacity. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I don't get a job I want, I'll beat myself up and it's stupid. So I let my do it. For, I let myself do it for a day and then I move on. Mm-hmm. But, but like with an actor, especially as you start to get many auditions and maybe multiple auditions a day, right, where you're preparing. Mm-hmm multiple pages of dialogue, you know, for a larger, maybe a pilot or a big guest star and, and multiple um, roles in a day. I think if you do the work and you're prepared and you come in and you can get to, it's easier said than done, but if you can put it out there and do your job, when you leave that room, I think the, the key is being able to let it go, right? Mm. And not overthink it because it's really not about, you as long as you come in and do the job right mm-hmm. do, do the work you both have cast things before so you understand it really is not about your audition it's more about if you fit the role if you're the right person for the yeah. role mm-hmm. and, yeah and, there, and as long as you're prepared there's nothing you can do outside of that right so yeah. right i think you just have to let it go and like don't beat yourself up because you didn't do that. <laughs> you know, that, that's, I mean, I, I, I don't control. think I've ever heard a director say, unless they were not a good director, say, oh, I didn't like the way he read that line, so I'm not going to hire him. More, more ah. of the ones, at least the ones I've had the, the privilege to work with, um, will say, I like that guy's vibe, so let's bring him back in and give him a note. Mm-hmm. Uh, line readings, at least the people I work with, I try to say, please don't listen to the line readings, and most of them don't. You know, Paul Feig, Judd. Mitch Hurwitz, Larry David, they like the p- funny person. So, um, yeah. Uh, the bad line readings, at least I'll bring it up and Ben will bring it up. Please give him another shot. Give him that note mm. because this person's good and this person's really weird and we want to see it. Because we've, we've seen you guys and we know that you're funny, right? So, yeah, yeah. These people maybe are just haven't heard of you and and they're just getting this one little blurb that you prepared and so, you know, Allison or myself will, yeah, we want to make sure that they understand, no, you got to give these guys another shot. That's, that's great. That's also a great note for uh, up and coming actors to know that every audition is a way that they're defending themselves. So even if they don't get it, the next time you're sending a tape off to producers, you know that you like them from the previous auditions that they didn't book. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I show like, old auditions to people. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah, awesome. and it works. Yeah, I've showed older auditions to people, and it definitely yeah. works. Yeah, because yeah. for some, like studio people, it helps if they see backup information. Because every audition, and every job, and every encounter, and every table read people ask you to do, and we've hired people from table reads. Ken John mm-hmm. got hired from doing the table read of Knocked Up, and now wow. Ken has a nice career. Oh so goodness. every table read they ask you to do, something will come of it. Mm-hmm. Unless you're bad in the table read and then nobody's going to ask you. <laughs> if, again, what Ben says, if you do your homework and, and do a good job, something will come of it and some studio person will remember you. Or especially a director will say, who was that guy who did that? Or let's just ask him to be in the movie and blah, 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 blah. 
So I find that, it, 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 and for the same for me, every audition shows me something different. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, I love, I love all of that. Just put yourself out there. Don't beat yourself up. Don't get too nervous about one audition. It's about showing them who you are and the tenacity is what's important. Thank you guys. Let's listen to a clip here. This is when Mark uses an orange to make an argument for Space Force. I love this scene. And then in the middle of it, uh, there's a women's protest group who crashes the hearing at the wrong time. And then Mark sums up his argument. So let's take a listen. The country has enough wealth. We can give an astronaut who is risking her life for all of us an orange every once in a while. Pretty words but I'm still not hearing any specifics about the science. How do you help my constituents on food stamps? Maybe it would be cheaper to give your constituents a nutritional paste if all you care about is money. Would you like us to work on that? Dr. Adrian Mallory, Chief Scientist, Space Force. If you want specifics, we are developing a new climate satellite that will provide such precise forecasts that the advance warning times for tornadoes and hurricanes will be tripled, potentially saving tens of thousands of American lives and hundreds of billions of American dollars in disaster relief. Sounds wonderful. It is. But what if a foreign aggressor shoots that satellite down? Not every country with a presence in space believes in good for all. Tap Tap's got to be one of my most favorite moments and the $10,000 orange (laughs) in this episode. And what a great, great clip. Uh, Steve was getting, uh, Mark Minera is getting eaten alive in this um, uh, 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 congressional hearing by AOC, AYC and the others. And that just shows you, uh, like Ginger, you're so good because you're standing toe to toe with Steve and you are killing him or his character, right? It's so fun to have the power over him and, and John, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then John finally steps in after he won when he saw the humanity and in, in, it's beautifully written in, in, in Mark's uh, speech and then he steps in and then AYC actually turns the corner. You have your whole arc in that thing. It's a beautiful episode. That's right. (laughs) If I may indulge myself, I was reading this uh, IMDb resume of yours. It's insane. You got uh, True Grit, No Country for Old Men. And, And I must say, being John Malkovich. Yes, Mr. Malkovich and I go back a long way, yes. Oh, really? I just interviewed him yesterday. He's the most amazing person. And um, with the soundtrack, it's so interesting because I'm a big fan of uh, music composing. I think I wanted to get into music before uh, I failed and have to settle on acting. Uh, So I I always have so much respect for you guys. Um, But often we don't get to meet you guys because we do everything, we shoot everything, and then we see your soundtrack. But really, so for um, Space Force, for example, I saw a cut without the soundtrack, you know, preliminarily, and then I saw a cut with the soundtrack. It elevates the whole thing tremendously, and you did such a wonderful job. So welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, that's right. It can really ennoble or destroy uh, a film. That's right, or a TV show. It's very cinematic. Am I allowed to say that? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, I mean, I think for yeah half-hour comedy, uh, doing its orchestral sort of Copeland-esque thing was, um, it's a little bit radical. Uh, when we were recording it, I was thinking, this is really a half-hour comedy? You know, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, <it's- laughs> was there a real orchestra? Yeah, there's a real orchestra. That's a real orchestra. Wow, that's why it sounds so big. Kind of crazy. We did it in Nashville. Ah. Oh, wow. That's yeah. so cool. One time I did sit in like one of these live orchestra things when it did the score for Crazy Rich Asians. Oh, and right. I got to say, that is one of the most wonderful experiences in making a film. It's pretty. Exci- it's pretty exciting. It's true. Yeah, it's like a you know, it's like a crowd action scene in a movie, but with you know, but in one room with the musicians. But yeah, it's like seeing eighty people do something together is is pretty fun. Yeah. So, what was your process going in this? Did you tackle it episode by episode? Did you have an idea going in? Does the visual speak to you? Well, it yeah, it really helps to have an idea. If you don't have an idea, yeah, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's probably shouldn't be doing it. And so, I first I had a conversation with Greg and just said. You know, they'd shown me the first episode without any music, and um, and it was a rough cut, and uh, you know, it wasn't even fully there. But um, 
I said that I felt that while it is a comedy, that it seemed like Carell was trying to be a real person with real aspirations. Mm-hmm. And it, it was important to play his heart. Like he's a fully, fully well-rounded uh, character as opposed to a, just a comedic character. And in particularly, like he, even though he's got this sort of thankless job, he, um, he does have dreams for it. And I wanted to play that. So uh, that was what I pitched to Greg. And Greg said, yeah, do you think we could do something orchestral? You know, like, like, um, Aaron Copeland. And I said, well, I was thinking Aaron Copeland too. And so right Uh away we knew just based on that conversation that we were thinking along the same lines. Oh, that's great. And then um, did they have placeholder tracks for you? Like this is what Greg said, okay, I wanted something there. Or was that up to your own uh, discretion? It really varies. Sometimes they had placeholder tracks. The the editors typically like to have some music to cut to, get a feeling. And um, yeah, so they often would do that. Yeah, but there are a lot of scenes for which that just wasn't possible. There, there doesn't exist any music that exactly hits these weird, the weird tone of combination of comedy and discomfort and, you know, emotion that this show often lives in. It's sort of that, that area. Um, so they would sometimes have that. But a lot of times all you could take from that is, well, we want it to, the pace to keep going or whatever. Um, when you're when you're composing and... and um you're you're trying to keep up the pace of something where the picture's already locked. What is the fix for that? Just literally your music is faster <laughs> or you're kind of going around the punchlines or what is that? Well, it's a good question. I mean, you, people may not know music is one of the last things that happens on either a film or a television show. It's basically, it's been cut. And so that it, one of the things that falls out of that is that people expect music to fix any problems uh, that haven't mm. been fixed in any other way. And sometimes it is about pace or it could be something else. It's like, we're not getting the emotion here or the timing or a relationship isn't exactly coming across. So basically they asked me to do that. And there are lots of different ways. You're right that I'm trying to work around dialogue all the time because partly because it is a half hour comedy, it's thick with dialogue. There mm-hmm. are, in a feature film, especially a lot of the feature films I work on, the directors actually leave space for the music. Like the Coen brothers will leave a couple of minutes for me to do something, but that just doesn't happen in this um, in this situation. So I'm always working around the dialogue and trying to get make a statement when I can, but so that it doesn't actually interfere with what other people are saying. Uh, we queued up a couple clips here uh, from episode three, which is what we're talking about. I think the first clip is uh, in the beginning of the episode when I'm talking to Malkovich about uh, mouse appropriation. <laughs> I love that. The beginning that sounds was... like a mousetrap. Yeah, you're, you're great at it, by the way. Uh, I mean, it's Thank really, you. Um, Thank yeah, you. I'm, I'm a big fan. But um, yeah, it was, we had already had two episodes in which we established a sound for Steve Carell and kind of a sound for Space Force. Mm. This, But this is the first episode where Malkovich really gets to kind of distinguish himself, comes out, uh, his character is, has that first scene, several scenes, or he's carrying it. And um, Greg really wanted some sound that would be his and that would somehow really contrast with Carell's. Because one of it, Greg's ideas for the show is that you see this distinction between the way scientists look at the world mm-hmm. and the way a military person or an administrative person looks at the world, that they're two opposing worldviews that it's hard to get them to find common ground. So yeah, the uh, having already established kind of a military sound, a lot of brass for Carell, <laughs> uh, I pitched the the harpsichord for Malkovich. It seemed like the most opposite mm. to a military sound. And Greg really liked that idea too, I think. Uh, but we had a hard time selling it to anybody else. Like people at Netflix were, what the, what is that? It was like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, there was actually a lot. We, we, it was a several week fight, actually. Like there was pushback on the harpsichord, but finally, Greg sent me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. That's right. 
Yeah, I said, well, okay, he's not harpsichord. What is he? And uh, but in the end, um, I got this nice email from Greg. We won with the harpsichord, you know. So oh uh, wow, so the harpsichord that itself is a huge battle just to establish Malkovich's sound because in that scene he's marching back and forth because he forgot his ID from the science lab to the thing. So like when I heard that, it, it adds to that determination of what he's thinking in a moment, and then of course the riff of bum 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 bum. It was so it's so good. It just layers and layers. Um, um, that's really interesting that you said Steve has already an established sound through the first two, and then now Malkovich has a sound. So does each character, of course, it's obvious like Yuri kind of has his own little uh, uh, sound and track. So does mm -hmm. each character um, have their own sound kind of like, uh, I guess maybe a bad example would be like a Darth Vader? <laughs> well, uh that is a bad example. That's what, but it comes up. That's right. I mean, I, I, by bad example, <laughs> what I mean is you're, it's a good example, but it's something that we sometimes try to avoid where every, because that's really like, if you watch a film from the 30s or 40s, that is what it's like. Every mm -hmm. time someone enters the room, they bring a new theme with them or a new sound. And it's kind of telling the audience an awful lot. And I, I prefer not to do that. And I prefer, right. even as an audience member, I prefer not to have the composer telling me all the time how to feel or what to think about things. But Greg also felt that there were times like when you see Yuri, he, I really tried to push, do we, do we really need a Russian theme for three, <laughs> three seconds, a three second shot of Yuri? Right. He said that apparently people didn't, not people, all people in the audience got that he was from Russia. They didn't get that. What, what's a Russian doing here? We don't under, you know, people right. didn't get it. And so, I'll be honest. Yes, we kind of hit him over the head uh, and it, musically. It absolutely helped tell the story for sure. Yeah, and it gives you an example of what a part another part of a composer's job in this situation is. Like you're telling story too, and you're like, if someone doesn't get part of the story, you're trying to solve that problem and like make sure they get it. Absolutely. And our second clip here, I believe, it's called Ostrich Leather. It's actually at the very very last shot in the movie, pretty much at the end of the um, congressional hearing, and. Uh, um, Malkovich and Carell's characters have gotten up and they're walking out and they've, they're now kind of self sealed their, I don't know yes, if you call yes, it a friendship, yes. but their alliance now. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a little victory lap. Exactly. That's amazing. It's, it's, it's so, it's victorious, yet it's sweet. And, and it, I think it hits the tone of the show very, very well. Yeah, it's part of the, every episode has its own kind of sound and its own you know, story arc, of course. Mm -hmm. And in this one, you know, Malkovich's character and Carell's are not getting along. And Carell's afraid Malkovich is going to screw up the, the budget hearing. And, and this other four-star general is trying to kind of suborn Malkovich's character to this guy Kick is trying to get him to come over to the Air Force mm -hmm, or let mm -hmm. Air Force take over Space Force. Anyway, so through 90% of the episode, the two, these two main characters are suspicious of each other. And this music is playing the way they finally have found some sort of, you know, rapprochement at the end. And now they're, you know, they're walking together and even they kind of like touch shoulders like buddies, you know, as they walk out. That Yeah, the sweetness is very important. It's a great moment to uh, uh, end the episode with. And, and without jumping too far, without uh, giving away future episodes of the show, <laughs> one of my favorite, favorite tracks that is extremely memorable is at the end of episode nine, that track when you see, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not going to say what it is. <laughs> yeah, you but can't that, say that. That's right. You that can't. bleeds into the beginning of episode 10. It starts off with the same music. And I think that's incredible. And I don't know if somebody could have done that uh, with like a episodic show on a network, you know, that you had to wait right. a week. The music wouldn't have <laughs> made sense. But that is the connective tissue that played so well on this very bingeable show. And, and that is absolutely <laughs> one of my favorite tracks. Yeah. yeah, nine and ten really are like one, one episode. It's true, and that that does help connect them. Yeah, 
That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Carter. It's so nice Can to I meet you. Can I ask one question, yeah. Jimmy? For oh, Mr. yeah, Burrell? please, please ask away. Yeah. Do you, when you're recording, do you have a group of uh, musicians that you normally like to record with? Like we go back to a lot of the same actors. Do you yeah, have, right. like you knew a harpsichordist and things? Um, <laughs> because but do you use a lot of the same folks in your orchestra? Well, um, yeah, it does turn out that way. And you're right. It's very similar to, to casting. In this case, yeah. I, pl- I played the harpsichord, which is, in fact, oh. not a, well, it's not a real harps. I don't have a harpsichord <laughs> lying around. It's all in the computer, you know, but um, yeah. it's, a, it's a sample of a harpsichord. But um, yeah, I do. Although this in this case, I had never worked with the musicians in Nashville before. So this was oh, wow. a new thing. I have musicians that I know in London and New York and L.A., but I had never worked um, in Nashville before. So this was, you know, getting to know a new, a new cast. Wow. Um, and also real quick, who does all the different parts for the different instruments? Who, cause there, it must be so complicated and nobody knows it cause they just hear the end thing. I know. Who does all the different transpositions <laughs> for like the cello and the, who, who does all that? Well, that's a very in, that's a very inside baseball uh, question. Yeah. It's, um, <laughs> I usually try to do it myself, uh, wow. it is, but we were on very tight schedules. We ended up, every episode of this was written in a week. Wow. So I don't have time to both write it and record it and orchestrate it all yeah. in a week. So uh, the actually the orchestrator was in Nashville, this guy, David Ships. Wow. But on the feature films, if I possibly can, I'm trying to orchestrate. I did, I did a handful of orchestrations on this one, but basically on the feature films, wow. I do try to do it myself because it... it it's so much the care of the character of the music is in your choice of is this an oboe yeah. is this you know an English horn or you know things like that. Mm. I have software. It's just like word processing software, except for um, for music. So it's called Sibelius, and I can lay it out, and it just looks fabulous, and everyone can read it. Which if you did it by hand, you ever, you'd spend half the recording session. People say, "Is that an F or a G?" Um, yeah, it's it's really made the the job much more you know manageable. Mm. Interesting. Um, I love it. Yeah. Uh, great. Any any more questions or uh... scores make movies a hundred percent. That's all I want to say. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this score in particular, I think. I mean, this TV show is like a hundred million dollar movie. It sounds like it. It, is, it looks it's like incredible. It. The look is amazing, and the actors is incredible. And the timeliness of it. It's yeah. so freaking timely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, the, the first joke is about uh, you know something about POTUS that makes perfect sense. Yeah, it's kind of amazing. <laughs> well, thank you, everyone. So much, Carter. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Allison, Ben, Ginger. Hi, Jimmy. Love Hi, Ginger. all of you guys. Thank uh, you. And I have to meet Carter Burwell. It was great. To, it was great to meet you all. I'll talk to you guys soon. Okay. Thank Later. you. Bye bye. Thanks for Bye having y'all. This has been Inside Joke Space Force. I'm your host, Jimmy O'Yang. Join us again for even more Space Force right here on the podcast. <laughs>